0: I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Hi, I'm Linda Palaccio, and you're listening to A Taste of the Past here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Were you a Gerber baby or maybe a Beechnut baby? Do you even know? Were you breastfed? Sorry to get personal. Were you breastfed? Maybe a lot of that has to do with your food taste preferences today or your health. Who knows? But Amy Bentley, my guest today, certainly has done her research and has a lot to say about it. She's written a new book called Inventing Baby Food, Taste, Health, and the Industrialization of the American Diet. Amy is an associate professor of food studies and a food historian at NYU Food Studies Program, NYU Steinhardt. And she has really opened many people's eyes, I think, to not only the industrialization, not only baby food and the industrialization and com- commercialization of baby food, but industrialization of food altogether. And we all know processed foods are the evil, bad sort. Amy, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Linda. It's great to be here. Um, you you do um, give a nice history, a nice history, you know, very concise history of baby food because it wasn't always available, certainly not in glass jars. wasn't always available pre-processed, people to grab it off the shelves before it was disdained. Tell me a little bit about the, the timeline and the history of, of um, commercialized baby food. Sure. Industrialized. industrialized. Uh,
3: baby Commercial baby food, mass-produced baby food, got going in the 1920s. Um, before then, babies uh, were fed recipes of Gruel or beef broth, beef juices, sometime between 9 and 12 months of age. And ba- uh, pablum, things you would yeah, think of
2: as baby food. Right. right.
3: But it wasn't really a specific category of baby food. It was a category of soft food meant to be fed, um, meant for babies, invalids, and the elderly. Hmm. Um, so it was kind of a larger category. And babies were fed those foods quite late relative to what it becomes and and what we think of um, as soft babies being fed soft foods. So it was quite late, you would
2: say, uh, probably by nine months, six months, Nine months, twelve,
3: a year, um, when teeth appear was kind of the the idea. And then uh, fruits and vegetables were not to be fed until after two years of age. There was some suspicion about fruits and vegetables. They had some laxative effects. It was not clear to people whether... They were the carriers of dysentery or cholera, and so there was just some distrust about working back to the
2: medieval times. <laughs> exactly,
3: and there uh, before vitamins were discovered in the early twentieth century, it was not really thought that they had important food value, at least compared to grains and meats. Mm-hmm. Then, in the nineteen twenties, you have the, the mass production of canned goods, the development of manufacturing processing facilities for canned goods, and pretty quickly after that. Um, baby food as a category of canned foods begins to be developed. Um, it starts with a man Harold Clapp in Rochester which was a fruit and vegetable manufacturing facility uh, area in upstate New York uh, and then really got going by the Gerber family in Michigan
2: uh, well who could who could <laughs> not know about the Gerber baby I mean those iconic pictures of uh, baby food um, ads I mean amazing.
3: absolutely and that actually started as a, as a pencil sketch and just caught the fascination and imagination of the company as well as the general public. And that icon just became indelibly connected to baby food and... Uh, it's one of the most widely recognized brand icons in the mm. United States today.
2: Oh, interesting! So the baby food was produced in cans. I mean, actual cans, and not what we the, that those familiar little jars right. that we that we know.
3: Yeah, Beechnut actually did start in uh, producing its baby food in glass jars, mm. but Gerber, Clapps, Libby, some of the others started in tin cans. Uh, about in the nineteen fifties, they switched to glass jars,
2: hmm. and. Interesting. Um, You talk about, I don't know if if anyone listening has ever really opened a jar of baby food and tasted it. Um, It's changed a lot over the years.
3: It has. Um, Baby food in the beginning was produced the way all canned foods were produced. That is, they were prepared with sugar or salt, preservatives, stabilizers, it was a meat product. It, it often had nitrites in it. Um, often had MSG in it. These are ways to maintain the in, the integrity of the product, to flavor the product. When you uh, process canned foods, sometimes you have to process it at very high heat, which changes the taste and the flavor, and the color, and the texture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all of and, these and it
2: destroys <laughs> some of the vitamin content. Right, as well. and so
3: all of these things. Um, are added back in to um, stabilize the texture, to enhance the flavor in one way or the other. And um, that was seen as modern. That was seen as scientific. Canned food, processed food, uh, in the beginning was, was... Uh, suspect, but very quickly in the early 20th century, Americans came to trust that, and advertising told us that that was scientific and modern and clean and it was better than we could prepare in our own homes, and so these additives were seen as part of that scientific Mm. modern process.
2: Well, it's interesting because it kind of coincided not kind of, but it it coincided as you state in your book too um, with the discovery of vitamins and nutritional content, things that had never been really um, uh, talked about in terms of food before. There were good foods, bad foods, but then they didn't know why. So vitamins were discovered.
3: Absolutely. In the 19-teens and uh, 20s, you have the isolation of vitamins. So all of a sudden, fruits and vegetables have really important nutritional value uh, that was not so recognized before. And you combine that with the mass production with the rise of advertising marketing with the um, specialization of pediatrics and registered dietitians as careers and organizations and it creates a perfect storm for the promotion and introduction and use of baby food and and mothers took to it. Mothers found it as a product of convenience. Oh, absolutely. It freed them from the kitchen. It made them more mobile with their babies. They could take their babies out and have a stable jar of food that they could feed their babies.
2: Right. Uh, Talk about the baby food. (laughs) Well, there are different things. Was was baby food baby's first junk food? Baby (laughs) food out of a jar? But but seriously, um, baby food has often been talked when you talk about it possi- as a possible you don't say it in so many words but gateway to to our taste for maybe too much salt or too much mm-hmm. sugar what and you and there is also we talked earlier before the show about um, Gordon Shepard's book on neurogastronomy and and how he states that even in the womb babies develop possibly uh, an awareness or um, flavors are are Comfortable to them yeah. or familiar to them.
3: Yeah, I mean to really understand this, we need to back up and look at the industrialization of food in in the longer perspective. So, the industrialization of food is a double edged sword because um, it it in- vastly increased and stabilized the food supply for Americans and for people all over the world. So for the first time you had, well, not the first time, but you had a reliable, dependable, fairly inexpensive source of food all year round. And that's important. That um, provides a lot of uh, food and nutrition value for Americans in a way that it didn't exist before. We got very, very good at producing industrial food. And a highly processed, highly industrialized food often has minimal food value or an excess of sugar, fat, salt, calories, um, and a more minimal nutrition content in comparison. So while it stabilized the food supply year-round, it provides a lot of cheap, minimally nutritious food in the food supply. And um, people of uh, lesser means consume a lot more of that food. And so that becomes the problem, is when the bulk of the food that you're consuming is highly industrialized processed food with a lot of salt, sugar, fats, um, preservatives. Uh, Recent science research has shown that Infants don't emerge from the womb, uh, tabula rasa, you know, blank slate with what kind of no taste preferences. Um, scientists have found that amniotic fluid has flavor and is flavored by the food a mother eats. So if the mother is having signature spices from her culture, the baby comes out sort of acclimated to that. Um, breast milk also is flavored by the food a woman eats. Um, and babies come out with an um, acclimation or a, um, a preference for sweet, which makes sense. Breast milk is sweet. Sweet means carbohydrates and calories. And so evolutionarily, it makes sense that babies would seek out sweet flavors. They also have an aversion to bitter. So they come out with flavor preferences and experiences. Um, what happens if, is if we feed those preferences with highly processed industrial food, it only um, uh, further acclimates infants to have preferences for sugar, and then salt, fat of also is a preferred flavor, and less exposure to bitter flavors, rougher textures, um, a variety of flavors and textures that create uh, an optimal. Uh, source of nutrition and, and food intake. And so h- industrial food and baby food at mid-century, which had a lot of this stuff in it, uh, primed or uh, sort of helped further acclimate in- infants to seek out and desire and crave those industrial mm, like Without the textures.
2: nutritional impact that breast milk had for them. They were just these right. kind of empty empty flavors. Right, and that's the other piece,
3: that in the by, by the mid-century, um, formula and solid food sort of uh, substi- becomes the substitutes for breast milk as breastfeeding levels drop, and the introduction of solid food comes at earlier and earlier ages. So at the early um, 20th century, the late eight, 19th century, as we talked about, the, the average age of introducing solids to babies is somewhere around 9 to 12 months. Um, by the 1960s, it's an average of four to six weeks after birth.
2: Four to six weeks, wow.
3: So that's, that's that kind of uh, those baby foods that have the sugar-salt preservatives being introduced at a very early age, um, earlier than the baby's body is physiologically ready, later research shows. Um, and so that kind of displaces breast milk in addition to the use of formula.
2: So mothers were really being... Influenced by this, this convenience, and um, commercialized.
3: Absolutely, it was convenience, but it was also a marker of being a good mother. Mm. Um, and so, um, one of the as the advice and the practice, practice changes over the years, from the early twentieth century to the mid twentieth century, and then the late twentieth century, um, the the advice about what to feed your baby and when to feed your baby changes. Dramatically drops um, in this mid-century period, and um, it's a, all about commercial baby food. But that's what being a good mother meant. That's what the information was telling women. That's what advice was telling women. That's what advertising was telling women. That was scientific. That was modern. And so um, there was a lot of... Um, a lot of reason to feed your baby those foods and a lot of sort of guilt if you didn't feed your baby. Because what right. if you weren't giving your baby the optimal nutrition, the right. optimal advantage? This advice and practice changes wildly, you know, in the late 20th century. But again, you have that same kind of anxiety. Um, am I purchasing the best things for my baby? Am I feeding my baby the right things? Am I being a good mother? Um, the the connection between love, nurturance, and food consumption and and food, um, feeding is so intertwined. It's just really hard to untangle
2: those two. And, and babies by nature sometimes can be picky eaters or have, you know, they don't want to eat certain times. And so then there's always that fear that you're not, you know, giving the baby enough, forget what it is you're feeding, but you know, they think, well, maybe it's the wrong, I'll try the, the pureed.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
0: I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Hi, I'm Linda Palaccio, and you're listening to A Taste of the Past here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Were you a Gerber baby or maybe a beechnut nut baby? Do you even know? Were you breastfed? Sorry to get personal. Were you breastfed? Maybe a lot of that has to do with your food taste preferences today or your health. Who knows? But Amy Bentley, my guest today, certainly has done her research and has a lot to say about it. She's written a new book called Inventing Baby Food, Taste, Health, and the Industrialization of the American Diet. Amy is an associate professor of food studies and a food historian at NYU Food Studies Program, NYU Steinhardt, and she has really opened... Many people's eyes, I think, to not only the industrialization, not only baby food and the industrialization com- commercialization of baby food, but industrialization of food altogether. And we all know processed foods are the evil, bad sort. Amy, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Linda. It's great to be here. Um, you you do um, give a nice history, a nice history, you know, very concise history of baby food because. It wasn't always available, certainly not in glass jars. wasn't always available pre-processed, people to grab it off the shelves before it was disdained. Tell me a little bit about the the timeline and the history of, of um, commercialized baby food. Sure. Industrialized. industrialized. Uh,
3: baby Commercial baby food, mass-produced baby food, got going in the 1920s. Um, before then, babies uh, were fed recipes of Gruel or beef broth, beef juices, sometime between 9 and 12 months of age. And ba- uh, pablum, things you would yeah, think of
2: as baby food. Right. right,
3: but it wasn't really a specific category of baby food. It was a category of soft food meant to be fed, um, meant for babies, invalids, and the elderly. Mm. Um, so it was kind of a larger category, and babies were fed those foods. Quite late relative to what it becomes and, and what we think of um, as soft babies being fed, soft foods. So it's quite late, today. you
2: would say, uh, probably by nine months, six months, nine a Nine months, year.
3: 12, a year, mm-hmm. um, when teeth appear was kind of the, the idea. And then uh, fruits and vegetables were not to be fed until after two years of age. There was some suspicion about fruits and vegetables. They had some laxative effects. It was not clear to people whether they were the carriers of dysentery or cholera. And so there was just some distrust you about know, fruits and vegetables. Harking back to the medieval
2: times. Exactly.
3: And there, uh, before vitamins were discovered in the early 20th century, it was not really thought that they had important food value, at least compared to grains and meats. hmm Then in the 1920s, you have the the mass production of canned goods, the development of manufacturing, processing facilities for canned goods. And pretty quickly after that, um, baby food as a category of canned foods begins to be developed. Um, It starts with a man, Harold Clapp, in Rochester, which was a fruit and vegetable manufacturing uh, area in upstate New York, uh, and then really got going by the Gerber family in Michigan.
2: Uh, well, who could who could not know about the Gerber baby? I mean, those iconic pictures of uh, baby food um, ads. I mean, amazing. absolutely, and that actually started as
3: a as a pencil sketch, and just caught the fascination and imagination of the company as well as the general public. And that icon just became indelibly connected to baby food, and. Uh, it's one of the most widely recognized brand icons in the mm. United States today.
2: Oh, interesting. So the baby food was produced in cans. I mean, actual cans and not what we, the, that those familiar little jars right. that, we, that we know.
3: Yeah. Beech Nut actually did start in uh, producing his baby food in glass jars, mm. but Gerber, Clapps, Libby, some of the others started in tin cans. Uh, about in the 1950s, they switched to glass jars.
2: Hmm. And, Interesting. Um, You talk about, I don't know if if anyone listening has ever really opened a jar of baby food and tasted it. Um, It's changed a lot over the years.
3: It has. Um, Baby food in the beginning was produced the way all canned foods were produced. That is, they were prepared with sugar or salt, preservatives, stabilizers, it was a meat product it it often had nitrites in it um, often had msG in it These are ways to maintain the in, the integrity of the product to flavor the product when you uh, process canned foods sometimes you have to process it at very high heat which changes the taste and the flavor and the color and the texture mm-hmm. <laughs> so
2: all a- of and, these and it destroys <laughs> some of the vitamin content right as well. and so
3: all of these things um, are added back in to um, stabilize the texture, to enhance the flavor in one way or the other. And um, that was seen as modern. That was seen as scientific. Canned food, processed food, uh, in the beginning was, was... Uh, suspect, but very quickly in the early 20th century, Americans came to trust that. And advertising told us that that was scientific and modern and clean, and it was better than we could prepare in our own homes. And so these additives were seen as part of that scientific Mm. modern process.
2: Well, it's interesting because it kind of coincided, not kind of, but it it coincided, as you state in your book, too, um, with the discovery of vitamins and nutritional content, things that had never been really um, uh, talked about in terms of food before. There were good foods, bad foods, but then they didn't know why. So vitamins were discovered.
3: Absolutely. In the 19-teens and uh, 20s, you have the isolation of vitamins. So all of a sudden, fruits and vegetables have really important nutritional value uh, that was not so recognized before. And You combine that with the mass production, with the rise of advertising, marketing, with the um, specialization of pediatrics and registered dietitians as careers and organizations, and it creates a perfect storm for the promotion and introduction and use of baby food. And, And mother's took to it. Mothers found it as a product of convenience. Oh, it, absolutely. It freed yeah. them from the kitchen. It l- made them more mobile with their babies. They could take their babies out and have a stable jar of food that they could feed their babies. Right.
2: Uh, it, talk about the baby food. <laughs> well, there are different things. It was, is it, is, was baby food baby's first junk food? Baby <laughs> food out of a jar? or But, but seriously, um, baby food... Has often been talked when you talk about it pos- as a possible. you don't say it in so many words, but gateway to to our taste for maybe too much salt or too much mm-hmm. sugar. What and you and there is also we talked earlier before the show about um, Gordon Shepherd's book on neurogastronomy and and how he states that even in the womb babies develop possibly uh, an awareness or um, flavors are are comfortable to them yeah. or familiar to them.
3: Yeah, I mean, to really understand this, we need to back up and look at the industrialization of food in, in the longer perspective. So the industrialization of food is a double-edged sword because um, it it in- vastly increased and stabilized the food supply for Americans and for people all over the world. So for the first time, you had de- well, not the first time, but you had a reliable, dependable, fairly inexpensive source of food all year round. And that's important. That um, provides a lot of uh, food and nutrition value for Americans in a way that it didn't exist before. We got very, very good at producing industrial food. And a highly processed, highly industrialized food often has minimal food value or an excess of sugar, fat, salt, calories, um, and a more minimal nutrition content in comparison. So while it stabilized the food supply year-round, it provides a lot of cheap, minimally nutritious food in the food supply. And um, people of uh, lesser means consume a lot more of that food. And so that becomes the problem is when the bulk of the food that you're consuming is highly industrialized processed food with a lot of salt, sugar, fats, um, preservatives. Uh, Recent science research has shown that infants don't emerge from the womb, uh, tabula rasa, you know, blank slate with what kind of no taste preferences. Um, Scientists have found that amniotic fluid has flavor and is flavored by the food a mother eats. So if the mother is having signature spices from her culture, the baby comes out sort of acclimated to that. Um, Breast milk also is flavored by the food a woman eats um, and babies come out with an um, acclimation or a, um, a preference for sweet, which makes sense. Breast milk is sweet. Sweet means carbohydrates and calories. And so evolutionarily, it makes sense that babies would seek out sweet flavors. They also have an aversion to bitter. So they come out with flavor preferences and experiences. Um, what happens if, is if we feed those preferences with highly processed industrial food, it only um, uh, further acclimates infants to have preferences for sugar, and then salt, fat of also is a preferred flavor, and less exposure to bitter flavors, rougher textures, um, a variety of flavors and textures that create uh, an optimal. Uh, source of nutrition and, and food intake. And so h- industrial food and baby food at mid-century, which had a lot of this stuff in it, uh, primed or uh, sort of helped further acclimate in- infants to seek out and desire and crave those industrial mm, flavors Without the texters.
2: nutritional impact that breast milk had for them. They were just these right. kind of empty... Empty flavors. Right, please. and
3: that's the other piece, that in the, by, by the mid-century, um, formula and solid food sort of uh, substi- becomes the substitutes for breast milk as breastfeeding levels drop and the introduction of solid food comes at earlier and earlier ages. So at the early um, 20th century, the late eight, 19th century, as we talked about, the, the average age of introducing solids to babies is somewhere around 9 to 12 months. Um, By the 1960s, it's an average of four to six weeks after birth.
2: Four to six weeks, wow.
3: So that's that's that kind of uh, those baby foods that have the sugar-salt preservatives being introduced at a very early age, um, earlier than the baby's body is physiologically ready, later research shows. Um, And so that kind of displaces breast milk in addition to the use of formula.
2: So mothers were really being... Influenced by this, this convenience, and um, commercialized.
3: Absolutely, it was convenience, but it was also a marker of being a good mother. Mm. Um, and so, um, one of the as the advice and the practice, practice changes over the years, from the early twentieth century to the mid twentieth century, and then the late twentieth century, um, the the advice about what to feed your baby and when to feed your baby changes dramatically drops um, in this mid-century period, and um, it's a, all about commercial baby food. But that's what being a good mother meant. That's what the information was telling women. That's what advice was telling women. That's what advertising was telling women. That was scientific. That was modern. And so um, there was a lot of... Um, a lot of reason to feed your baby those foods, and a lot of sort of guilt if you didn't feed your baby. Because what right. if you weren't giving your baby the optimal nutrition, the right. optimal advantage? This advice and practice changes wildly, you know, in the late 20th century. But again, you have that same kind of anxiety: um, Am I purchasing the best things for my baby? Am I feeding my baby the right things? Am I being a good mother? Um, the the connection between love, nurturance, and food consumption and food, um, feeding is so intertwined. It's just really hard to untangle those right. two.
2: And, and babies by nature sometimes can be picky eaters or have, you know, they don't want to eat certain times. And so then there's always that fear that you're yeah. not, you know, giving the baby enough, right. forget what it is you're feeding, but you know, right. they think, well, maybe it's the wrong, I'll try the, the pureed carrots instead of the you know, pureed peas. Yeah. And and really, it's just exactly. you know, listening to the baby's body.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's stressful because if it is a, a mother or a primary caregiver's um, obligation to uh, feed that baby, right? No. <laughs> and so that's a big a big responsibility. And so it's there's no wonder that there's anxiety tied right. up in that. Um,
2: you mentioned um, uh, something about class and. Initially, the baby foods, was it a a class distinction, too? Here was this um, commercialized, prepared food to feed your baby. Was that considered something of of a privilege to be able to feed your baby this
3: I mean, it wasn't the beginning when baby foods were more expensive, mm-hmm. but then they became cheap, and some brands were cheaper than others. And it really the consumption the use of baby food just really crossed the classes. So they
2: made it available to Absolutely. everybody at that yeah. point, and then really swept the market, right?
3: Absolutely, yeah. Of, and at some point, ninety percent of all um, babies were being fed commercial baby food.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <laughs> I noticed it was interesting uh, little fact that. The American Dietetic Association actually used Gerber's name behind some of their research or, or recipes to assure quality. That's how trusted it became.
3: Uh, yes, um, Gerber funded research that was uh, then advertised and published in academic journals. Uh, received the good, the famous good housekeeping, housekeeping seal, seal of, right. of approval. Um, it was just really a mainstream part of American. Consumption in food ways. It was just it was naturalized. In, you know, I say that in quotes. Mm-hmm. It was normal. It was what you did if you were um, a middle class American.
2: Right. And then there was a shift in um, all of these additives. As you said, something had to preserve it aside from that blast of heat that they would give it in mm-hmm. processing. Um, but people were started to become concerned about sh- the add the added sugars and salts. Uh, when was that?
3: They did. In the late 60s and 70s, you start having a cultural shift. It's a shift away from the blank, um, blanket, dist- blanket trust in science and belief in authority. You know, that happens with. Watergate, with Vietnam War, with uh, you know all the the turmoil that is going on in the 1970s, you get a shift away from what is called scientific motherhood, this trust in the authorities, to a, a, a ethos of natural motherhood. Natural,
2: natural was the that was the buzzword. Exactly,
3: right. trust yourself. Uh, uh, closer to nature is better. Um, science is suspect. Um, and and science studies actually were showing that an excess of salt, sugar, and fat in the diet probably wasn't that great in general. And of course, that um, reached down into baby food and, and feeding studies for infants as well. And so, all of this, these foods that were seen as positive and modern were beginning to be reevaluated, and infant feeding habits and um, practices were being evaluate, reevaluated as well.
2: All right. Was there any um, correlation to, and maybe it was something that I that you touched on in your book, um, that. Some of the increase in in the in the salts or sugars, parents or adults would taste the food and go, "Ooh, this is so bland. This is terrible. I need it needs more to it." Um, was it on the parents' perception, not the child, the baby's perception? Some of the uh, research indicates
3: that the the baby food companies would would argue, "Well, we have to add these things because the parents won't buy it, the mothers won't buy it." I think some of that was true. I also think a lot of parents didn't taste the baby food um, and um, just fed it to their child. Uh, and trusted trustingly exactly because (laughs) it was a a highly regarded brand yeah
2: yeah actually you you did a good job explaining scientific motherhood because that was one of my questions what do you really mean by scientific motherhood trusting science Ooh, we have to be careful on that one Um, we're going to talk more about the evolution of baby food and what it means to us now as adults when we come back after a short break
1: This program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
0: Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network.
2: We are back on A Taste of the Past. I'm talking with Amy Bentley, um, an associate professor of food studies and a food historian at NYU. And um, Amy has just written a book called Inventing Baby Food. Taste, Health, Industrialization, and the American Diet. I had to look at the front of the book. It's a long <laughs> title there. Um, inventing Baby Food. We just can keep it as a, as a short title. All right. I'm going to ask you a little bit of a loaded, not a loaded question, but may, uh, maybe a difficult question to, to answer. Um, and so, you know, you've talked so much about how baby food has, you know, affects the, um, our preferences for taste in, in all the way up into adulthood, if not just into, you know, toddlerhood. Do you think there's any correlation between uh, those uh, preferences of taste and the the additives in the baby food to what we saw as as an in these people would now be in this particular area that we're talking about, the increased cases of obesity in this country? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I told you it was a loaded question. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, You know,
3: there's so many factors that go into uh, a person's health or a person's weight, a person's um, nutritional status. It's hard to tease out. And I certainly, uh, uh, as as a non-expert, would not make a judgment. There are studies that point to kind of early feeding, overfeeding as an infant – can lead to uh, obesity and overweight as an adult or an older child so there is, there are connections um, we know that the generation of baby boomers raised on formula and um, and commercial baby food you know generally turned out okay we have our health problems we have our struggles we have our Um, issues. Uh, Diabetes is a big issue and heart disease. We have these diseases of excess uh, type, I should say type 2 diabetes because there's a difference Mm -hmm. between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, Can this early feeding of infants have had a, a connection to those things? Yes, I think so. I think maybe what we can more strongly say is that Kind of what we talked about before—that that introducing those foods at such an early age, kind of primes a palate to seek out and enjoy and find delicious those highly processed industrial flavors and textures, and so that's um, I think something that we can look to and we can say you know so many um, so much of the population finds those flavors and textures delicious that, and, and they aren't necessarily as healthy as. Other types of food, fresher, uh, more fruits and vegetables would be. And how do we, uh, you know, how can we, how can we, how can we understand the palate in a different way? And how can we retrain people's palates? And and maybe starting at infancy with a variety of flavors and textures at an appropriate age might be a good way to um, increase... The um, nutritional value of people's diets.
2: Right, just, I want to
3: mention notes. one more type of research that feeds into this, and that's some um, researchers in England have looked at um, infant food visually, not just kind of from a flavor uh, and texture component. And if if all they found out, they concluded that if all we feed infants are are bland, soft foods, you know, rice cereal, applesauce, cr- s- uh, smushed bananas, uh, and that's what food means to them food mean if food is beige food is soft food is sort of bland or maybe sweet has kind of a sweet flavor overtoned or maybe soft uh, salty so is it any wonder that infants kind of primarily consuming those foods would move on to other beigeish foods plain pasta macaroni and cheese white bread um uh, you know uh, noodles you, i mean you know that because because food is not sharp flavor sh- food is not bright colors you know those are the visual cues as well as the texture and taste cues all
2: right interesting very interesting having been a mother during the 70s i was i got caught up in that whole natural thing and the sh- what was the shift the mm-hmm. whole um you know culture shift at that time and one uh, smart manufacturer made these little portable hand cranked food grinders. You just put on the table. You could take them to a restaurant with you. You could not that that food was necessarily mm-hmm. the best to mm-hmm. feed the baby, but it's what you know. We many of us at that time used at home. We just cook you know, without too much seasoning, cook um, food for the family, and then just grind it up for the baby. Um, that is once again we're seeing everything as we do in history often come full circle and again, there is this um, embracing of more natural foods, wholesome foods, and people cooking for their babies at home once again. Not that they're not, you know, substituting, I guess, occasionally with those squeezable pouches, because those are certainly popular on (laughs) on the shelves, right? Absolutely. Right. Well, so
3: just in the 1970s, there was this consumer backlash to the state of commercial baby food at that time, and it forced the baby food manufacturers to take out a lot of those additives, the sugars, the salts. Mm-hmm. And it, so it cleaned up baby food to a large extent. And there was just a whole imperative to make one's baby food, which s- still continues. Um, you have the, the pouches, the boutique baby food manufacturers that have um, arisen today, um, which you know provide an interesting array and an interesting... Um, options for for women and the pouches are just kind of one further indication of
2: convenience. You know, they're just <laughs> shove it in the baby's mouth f- further, and squeeze hard. Right, right. Further
3: <laughs> convenience um, that has its pros and cons, I think. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, and of course they all tout you know, if not organic, natural, mm-hmm. natural you know foods. Well, salt's natural, sugar's natural. <laughs> you know, yeah, that there's a problem. Yeah, there, natural you know?
3: is kind of a fraught category. It is. We we is. we define it in a the way we come to it definitely yeah. um, you know the the latest kind of iteration of baby food is is no baby food at all kind of coming back full circle and so there's a a, a, a philosophy called baby led weaning where you just breastfeed to six months of age and then just start chopping up regular food, food and right. throwing it on the high chair and then the baby kind of starts yeah. on uh, you know kind of more table food. I'm
2: observing my uh, daughter with her Child and that's more or less what she and her husband have done. And, and talk about bitter flavors. I mean, I think more children are liking the sharper, bitter flavors at an earlier age um, because they're introduced to it at an appropriate time. Right? I think they
3: are, and the American Academy of Pediatrics is is all behind this. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are recognizing that there's really no scientific reason that. Re- refined white rice cereal needs to be the first food. In fact, there's a lot of good reasons why it might not be the best first food and that um, you can substitute other foods for that. You can introduce signature spices and... Um, Uh, they're even changing their approach to allergies and the introduction of foods uh, with regard to allergies. So there's really interesting movement going on in infant feeding at this time.
2: So something we should watch for more, more developments in feeding babies and baby food, of course, is, you know, the, the prime, you know, target initially. And, um, and we all, I think everyone has opened a jar of pureed, I don't know, apricots or so. What was your favorite? <laughs> I love the pureed apricots. <laughs>
3: you know, I have to admit, so I have three children and they all, you know, they ate baby food. I bought baby food. I made it. I did everything. I'm not sure I ever tasted it because uh, it
2: looked so awful. I did, you know, it Which would begs be... the question, why did I feed it to my kid? Yeah, right. I mean, I would grind the food, you know, diligently. I was, I tried to be good, about it but every now and then, you know, you'd have those jars. I grab it, especially yeah. if you were on the go, yeah. right? And you got to run yeah. and, and and take something with you. And pureed apricots are my favorite, so I guess yeah, I became the kid's favorite. Of course, I would taste it. I wasn't going to give it to my kid without. Yeah, tasting. well, you were a better mother than I was. <laughs> oh, that remains to be seen. Amy Bentley, it was a pleasure, and again, the tie. The title of the book is Inventing Baby Food, Taste, Health, Industrialization, and the American Diet. So, yes, if you think processed foods might be bad for you, read this book and you'll find out how bad. <laughs> <laughs> or <Thank> good. <laughs> or good, too. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. And you've been listening to A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. <laughs>